Or thank the Lord. I'm grateful to be here today. As a matter of fact, I'm incredibly grateful to be here today. It's been worth the trip already to stand here today knowing that we are completely, totally enveloped in the love of God and the grace of God. I don't know who wrote that song, but those words were amazing. It reminds me of the old song we used to sing years ago, Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound. It saved a wretch like me. Is anybody here today thankful for the love of God? Thankful for the love of God. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank the Lord, thank the Lord. If you remain standing again, it's great to see all of you. Thank you so very much for being here today. And uh, appreciate it so very much you're coming. I want to call your attention to the Word of God. And uh, I hope we can give ear to the Word of God as Grace Church and from Pastor's point of view is in transition. And uh, I believe God is preparing us for a dimension around of the Holy Ghost that we've not yet experienced. And I think everybody here today is, is good with that. Thank the Lord. John chapter 2, verse 1, And the third day there was a marriage in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. And both Jesus was called and his disciples to the marriage. And when they wanted wine, the mother of Jesus saith unto him, unto Jesus, they have no wine. And Jesus said unto her, Woman, what have I to do with thee? My, mine hour is not yet come. But his mother said unto the servants, Whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. Sounds like a pretty strong command to me. And there were set there six water pots of stone, after the manner of the purifying of the Jews, containing two or three firkins apiece. Jesus said unto them, Fill the water pots with water. You know the story. And they filled them up to the brim. And he saith unto them, Draw now, draw out now, and bear unto the governor of the feast, and they bear it. And the ruler of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine, and knew not whence it was, but the servants which drew the water knew. The governor of the feast called the bridegroom and said unto him, Every man at the beginning doth set forth good wine. And when the men have well drunk, then that which is worse, but thou hast kept the good wine until now. This, the beginning. Everybody say the beginning. This, the beginning of miracles, did Jesus in Cana of Galilee and manifested forth his glory and his disciples believed on him. I want to speak to you for a little while this morning. My title is this, When Jesus Enters the House. When Jesus Enters the House. Everybody say, thank God for the word. Thank you for standing and you may be seated. I want to start today with something a little bit unusual. Sister Murphy and I will celebrate 44 years of marriage this coming November, but I'd like to do a little throwback Sunday, if you don't mind, if 
they could throw that first picture on the screen. That is Sister Murphy and I at our wedding reception. We are at that moment married. Had only been married just a few minutes. And um, believe it or not, we considered ourselves cutting-edge young people back then. We dressed all the styles and the hairdos, and you can't see it in the picture, and I probably wouldn't show it to you, but the shoes I was wearing had about a half-inch to a three-quarter-inch platform sole on it. And uh, <laughs> and uh, I looked a little taller in this photograph, but I like that hair. I miss that hair. I looked at that picture and almost cried, but that was a style back then. It's kind of like the women's hairdos for men. You blew it up as big as you could and parted it down the middle. I got fussed at on numerous occasions for about my hair being too long. And, uh, but that was the style back then. Let's move on to the next picture. Um, we thought this was the fanciest picture we've ever seen. I guess you could look at that and say for a moment, Sister Murphy and I were turned into wine <laughs> because we're in a wine glass. But what I really want to show you today is the third picture. And I have said for years that you can see that dark blue cloud of the Holy Ghost over our wedding ceremony. There was somebody that just laughed. You didn't believe that any more than I did. <clears throat> but back in those days, 100 years of years ago, they could do what they would call transpose a picture on top of another one, and we thought that was so fancy. What the uh, photographer ended up doing was just taking a picture of light coming through the window in the sanctuary of the church we were in, and he superimposed that reflection of light over our wedding ceremony, and it just fit the bill perfectly for me. I could always say that the Holy Ghost overshadowed our marriage. You could see it in a blue cloud. It's like Solomon's temple. The ministers could hardly perform that ceremony because of the presence of the Holy Ghost. I do want to show you something really cool, though, for those of you that might be interested. Is that little guy right there? Is Monty Young. And that little girl right there is Heather. I know her as Heather Frazier. She'll always be Heather, Heather Frazier to me. So those of you that might be interested in that, that's that. All right, thank you very much. On a more serious note, here we go. I have said and taught for many years that Christianity should begin at home and the church should back up what people are doing at home, not the other way around. I've said for many years that Christianity, the fruit of the Spirit, and all of that should begin in the home between husband and wife and between parents and children. Why not the miraculous? Why not the miraculous. Let me ask you today, and I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but have you ever experienced a true miracle from God? If so, when and where was your first miracle? Outside of the baptism of the Holy Ghost, we could even include that if you want, but outside of that, when and where was your first miracle? The answer to that question for most people would be at church or even at a hospital. But mine was at home. I was two years old. My parents brought me home from the hospital to die. It was called convulsions back then. It's seizures now. 
The pastor was called and spent some three hours beside my bed, and the rest is history. Does it seem a little strange to you that Jesus would pick a wedding at someone's house as a place to launch his ministry, his miracle ministry? It seems a little odd to me, personally. I think maybe if you wanted to do this, what what Jesus did, I think maybe you should start out with something like healing a blind man or a deaf man, someone that everyone knew was, was blind or deaf. You would get all, you'd be on all the news channels and newspapers for sure. Or better yet, why don't you cleanse a leper? That's always a a crowd pleaser. They'd love it. And that person would be totally restored back to their previous lifestyle. They would come out of quarantine and be completely restored back to their original lifestyle. But then if you really want the media and the general public to stand up and take notice, why don't you raise someone from the dead? That would really make you and your ministry known around the area instantly. So if you were to sit down and talk to Jesus beforehand to suggest what kind of miracle to perform first, he would probably say, well, I appreciate all of your suggestions, but I was thinking about going to a wedding feast and not even really planning to perform a miracle. But while I was there, I'd go ahead and turn water to wine. I think that's what I'll do for my first miracle. I'll launch my ministry that way. Why would anyone want to do a miracle like that, at a place like that, especially for your first one? But that's exactly what Jesus did. So Jesus was attending the wedding. Whose? We have no idea. He was no doubt just kicking back and relaxing, chatting with some folks, listening to the music, and enjoying the nice atmosphere. I really believe that Jesus was enjoying the celebration of a man and woman committing themselves to each other in marriage. Jesus, the creator of all, was actually the one who came up with the idea of marriage, and it only makes sense that he would would want to join in on the festivities. It makes sense to me that He would bless this young couple with his presence. In case you were wondering, he was at my wedding too. I just showed you proof on the picture. A little known carpenter from Nazareth feasted and celebrated with everyone else on this very joyous occasion. But turning water into wine, why would the Messiah, the Son of God, begin his ministry with such an unusual act. You know the story. The celebration was well underway. The host runs out of wine, which is a huge embarrassment for that time. When it's known to Mary, the mother of Jesus, she tells the servants to go to Jesus, and whatever he tells you to do, you do it. So let's think about this for a moment. Jesus is about to perform his first miracle. And what is the fruit of it? He brings an amazing quantity 
of happiness and joy to that house. I don't think you heard what I just said. I'm praying. I've been praying. I've talked to Brother Dave, our ministry team, about it. We need a restoration of joy and happiness in our home. Everybody could appreciate a good turning the water to wine miracle in your home because of what it does. It may not need to happen literally, but spiritually, figuratively, if you will, we need that boost and shot of happiness and joy. It also saves someone from huge embarrassment and humiliation. It also celebrated the union of a man and a woman. What Jesus did for this young couple in Cana shows us that He can and does intervene in our lives anywhere, at any moment, not just when we're sick or dying or have been given a death sentence because we have an incurable disease, but He shows up for the little stuff. He shows up for the things that may not be that important to us. And His purpose for doing it is to bring happiness and joy to your marriage, to your family, to your kids, to your home. I say let's let Jesus enter our house and start doing a miracle work. Hallelujah. He provides exactly what we need. In fact, many times he goes far beyond what we need or even thought to ask for. This wasn't some lame sleight of hand trick like the dropping of some food coloring into those six huge 30-gallon containers. Jesus created some very fine wine, the best tasting wine, and he did it in an instant. This was wine that by every indication had come from premium grapes. The grapes, no doubt, that had grown on some very healthy vines. He had soaked up, or those grapes seemingly soaked up the warm Middle Eastern sun for a full season. Then they were crushed perfectly in a wine press and stored in special skins or casks and aged to perfection. And this whole process happened in an instant. What could God do in our homes if we let Him in? I'm not saying that you're not letting Him in. Don't don't misconstrue what I'm saying. But if we can open open up just a little bit more. There are people that consider themselves to be connoisseurs of wine. You see a person, and I've seen them do it, take some tiny sips out of a wine glass then swirl it around in the glass and even smell it, and with a nod of the head exclaims that it qualifies. That person can tell you more about wine than you ever wanted to know. They can tell you about its aroma, its bouquet, and its finish. Sometimes these folks are referred to as wine snobs. And for some people, wine is an elaborate science. Jesus created 180 gallons of superlative wine in the blink of an eye. Only because he wanted to bring happiness 
and joy and take away embarrassment and doubt and confusion out of somebody's house? What could he do if we would open up our hearts and arms and minds to the presence of God, not only here in church, but in our homes? You understand, if he had wanted to, he could have turned the Jordan River into wine. He could have turned the Sea of Galilee into Cabernet. After all, at one time, he turned the Nile River into blood. But he limited, he limited this miracle to those six stone water pots at a wedding feast in a little backwater town called Cana. And he did it to restore hope and peace and happiness and joy. Jesus said... Fill the water pots with water. And the servants did as they were told. There's always a part for God to play and a part for us to play. As the water was distributed, as the servants dipped it out and poured it in the glass, of course it was turned to the best tasting wine they had ever put in their mouth. The man that was in charge of the celebration knew something extraordinary was up after the first sip. Can you imagine the surprise and wonder on his face when he tasted that wine? He must have been asking himself, where did the servants come up with this wine? There's no doubt that this was the best wine he'd ever tasted or that he would ever taste again. Then a look of puzzlement must have come across his face. He just didn't get it. Usually, the Bible said, a host serves the best wine first. But you've chosen, he said, to keep the best till last. God always saves the best for last. It's just the way he does it. It's his way. It's his plan. But Satan doesn't do things that way. There's one or two people I'm talking to right now. I want your attention. You probably know who you are. Satan don't give you the best last. He gives you the best first. Satan's motto is grab the best right now while you can get it. The devil likes to bring out the big guns right from the beginning. He offers his most exciting, enticing, appealing stuff in the beginning, especially when you're young, especially when you're young, especially when you're young, especially when you're young. It's amazing how many young men and women today with their whole futures ahead of them Futures filled with hope and promise. The devil will systematically destroy those futures with drugs, alcohol, living lives of immorality, parents divorcing, violence in the home. Every new generation that comes along acts if they were the first to have to deal with these problems. The devil always offers his best up front because he knows how to do it and he knows what works. He's had thousands of years with humanity to get it right and the price is always too expensive. He tempts with lust, the flirt, the affair, and then introduces the devastation, heartbreak, and regret later. He tempts with the first drink, and then comes drunkenness, and then the marital woes, the DUIs, the job loss, the car accident that leaves people critically injured or even dead. He introduces you to drugs, then addiction, then all the financial despair and divorce and family intervention. James said in his epistle, when lust is conceived... It brings forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, brings forth death. I want us to understand today, if, as if Jesus could do 
this, if he could perform this miracle, if he could take generic well water and completely change his molecular structure in a heartbeat, creating a wine so incredible that it most startling amazed an export connoisseur, if he could pull this off. In what situation in your life could possibly be so complex and overwhelming for him? What change could possibly or what challenge could possibly exceed this one? Sometimes we find ourselves in some tangled combinations of distressing circumstances. We feel like we are way over our head and we try to explain it to God hoping that he will somehow understand all of the complicated factors that we can barely comprehend ourselves. He grasped our situation in greater depth and greater detail than we could if we spent a thousand lifetimes stressing about it. This miracle of turning water to wine shows us that Jesus is the master of every imaginable situation, every situation right down to the simplest. I've had occasion to talk to a few people just in recent days about the path the devil can take you down. And it always seemingly ends with divorce and kids scattered everywhere. I'm saying that in all due respect, but it's true. It always ends in something horrible. You know, the, the devil's path always ends. And so it don't take you to the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. It never does. It always ends. But people keep choosing that path. They keep thinking that it won't happen to me and it won't apply to me. And it's, you know, I can do better than that and I can control it. But, but I've never yet met anybody that really does. And you say, well, I know a lot of good people living in sin. I know, I do too. I know some great people that live in sin. But they're not right with God. You may not need your tap water turned into wine today, but tapping into God's unlimited strength and His unlimited wisdom is the most important and highest priority of your life right now. When you get bad news from the doctor, when your boss calls you into his office and tells you that he's got to let you go, when that unexpected bill comes in, when your child gets in trouble with a law or you're slapped with an unexpected lawsuit, you name it, you can fill in the blanks. And the list is endless. We need... For Jesus to enter our house. We need to let him in. Not just for a social visit. Not just for a feel-good visit that I had prayer meeting Monday night. And it's not just to say that I just finished the 21 days of sacrifice. And to put a, a, a ribbon in our hat. It's, it's not just to, to say, okay, I've done something good. It's... It's not that when Jesus comes into our lives, when he comes into your home, into your marriage, into your family, when he goes with you to your job, he just don't show up to be a social partner. And he don't believe in six-foot social distancing either. When Jesus comes in, he comes in. And he comes in to make a difference. He comes in to make it better. He comes in to make life worth living. He comes in to satisfy the heartbeat of every man, woman, boy, and girl. Yes, he does. He comes in to heal, to deliver, to save. He comes in to work through problems. He does it all. And he cares about all of it. So when Jesus enters the house, the sick is healed. 
In Matthew 8, the Bible said that Jesus entered the house of Peter, and with one touch of his hand, he healed his wife's mother of her infirmity. That evening, many sick people were brought to him, and they were all healed. Remember, a number of years ago, I think Casey was two, three years old, we were evangelizing, standing in a motel room to go to a district conference. And we don't know what happened. Sister Murphy and I didn't. And, but, buddy, she, she came down with a fever. Her forehead was so hot. Her eyes was kind of glazed over, and we were worried. We were in a town. We didn't know a soul. We didn't even know where a hospital was. There wasn't but one thing to do. We prayed for her. And we prayed. It wasn't this little feel-good prayer to say, I just prayed for my daughter. We prayed. I kind of had a new appreciation for the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. We prayed, Sister Murphy would tell you, in less than five minutes, in less than five minutes. She had no fever, and she was sitting on the floor playing with her toys like nothing had ever happened. When you have invite Jesus into your house, things begin to happen. Yes, they do. Yes, they do. And if you cop an attitude of bitterness and strife and bickering and fussing, he can't do nothing. But if you'll let him in, he can do everything. I don't remember how old Josh Murphy was, Joshua as I like to call him. I don't know how old he was. It was obviously before Brother Merrill and Sister Christie moved away. But they called me one night and said something's wrong with Josh, much like Casey raging with fever, lethargic laying on the couch. We went over and anointed that little boy with oil, Brother Billy. And before I got home, they called and said he's on the floor playing. And everything is fine. His fever broke immediately. When you ask Jesus into your house, he can do anything. When Jesus enters the house, needs are met. Matthew 17 tells the unusual story of Peter and Jesus needing to pay their temple tax. The Bible says that when they entered the house, Jesus instructed Peter to go fishing. And when he, when he did, he caught some fish and found money in the mouth of the first fish he caught. Enough money just so happened to pay both their taxes. When Jesus enters the house, he can meet any need. He can meet every need. Yes, he can. When Jesus enters the house, the dead are raised. In Mark 5, Jesus entered the house of Jairus, whose daughter is dead. She has no life, just a corpse lying there. But with one word, this girl comes back to life. Why? Because Jesus entered the house. Somebody listen to Pastor. The one who is the resurrection and the life entered the room. And as he entered, death knew that its time was up. The moment Jesus entered the house, death had to leave. How can we have a dead church when a living Jesus is present it's impossible perhaps Jesus hasn't really entered as many of our homes and churches as we think he has but if we will open up to him if we will open up to the power and demonstration and the glory and the might of God he will resurrect everything back to life again When Jesus enters the house, people are attracted to that. Mark 2, and again, he entered into Capernaum. 
After some days, there was a noise abroad that he was in the house. And straightway, many were gathered together, insomuch that there was no room to receive them, not so much as about the door. And he preached the word unto them. This was the day that revival came to that house. Religion is not attractive. Church programs and events and entertaining, and they're all good, and themselves cannot produce life. But when Jesus enters the house, when his presence invades a church, the house will be filled. Folks, we've got to let him in. You know, it's funny. Try not to be judgmental here. But you can tell whose house Jesus lives in and whose house he doesn't by your response today. I just went through an awesome point of the amazingness of Jesus being in your house and people sat there and stare at me like, what is it, Jason Brooktrout? Uh, I don't understand why you're resistant to the presence of God in your life. Is he that bad? Is he that evil? Is he that wicked? No, he's not. But our problem is that we think he requires too much. Discipleship is just a little bit too heavy of a price to pay to have Jesus in my house. I don't like the faithfulness thing. I don't like all the commandment stuff. I don't, I don't really like that. So I'm going to trade true joy and happiness so I get my way. I didn't come to preach that, but it just fit at the moment, so I said it. When Jesus enters the house, the things of man must leave. It's another problem we have with his presence. In Luke 11, a man invited Jesus, read it, invited Jesus into his house, only to be upset after Jesus questioned so many of his traditions. It was a Pharisee, and he didn't like Jesus' style of ministry. I've told several people, told them yesterday when we were up here doing various things, and I'm real nervous about this wall right here. I told the group when I met this morning that I'm afraid they're going to have some people that's going to build their own wall between them and this wall. And we'll have to do the Walls of Jericho thing and go round and round and get it all tore down. But I want everybody to understand, as much as I honor our tradition, I still prefer Jesus' way more. See, I thought I'd get a, just an amazing response to that and on board. But we're not quite sure what that means, and we don't like it too much. I'm going to tell you what happens. When Jesus shows up, when he turns up and he comes in, he likes to take over. Jesus is not going to be squashed into our programs and into our routines People said of Jesus, we've never seen anything like this before. I preached to you the other day after seeing the disciples watching him perform four or five miracles. When he calmed the sea, they said, what manner of man is this? It blew their mind. And I'm a little nervous here today. I'm personally nervous here today because I believe that God is about to take the church around the world down a path that it's never seen or known before. And us old seasoned people 
Pentecostals, we're going to balk at it. We're going to cry about it. We're even going to complain about it. But I'm going to tell you right now, Pastor Murphy is on board with whatever God wants to do and wherever God wants to lead. Yes, sir. And God bless your heart today. If we can add some more lights and all this kind of stuff to magnify God and to make Him look bigger and better and more powerful and get a woo out of people, I'm all about it because I want to magnify Him. Jesus is in the house today and He deserves all we got. You think you're nervous? Walk a week in my shoes. I don't know where God's going with this, but I'm on for the ride. When Jesus shows up at our church, in our homes, things are going to change. Jesus never showed up anywhere and left things like they were. There will be unusual manifestations. Perhaps even the format and times of our services will go out the window. I don't know that. But what if it does? What if God leads us to have church at 7 on Saturday night or 2 o'clock Sunday afternoon? I mean, the Bible said we need to have church on Sunday morning at 10. No, it didn't. No, it didn't. Jesus blew away their traditions. And more importantly, he blew away their mindset. And he backed it up with some extraordinary manifestations of the power of God. Oh, God, help us today. So let me ask you today with that little thought in mind, is Jesus really in our churches? Is he really in our lives? Is he really in our homes? We may say yes, but does the fruit match up? with the biblical fruit of when Jesus entered homes. If people aren't being healed, if needs aren't being met and people aren't being attracted, if there's no resurrection power, if our routine is not messed up, then can I suggest that we're like the church in Revelation 3 where Jesus was standing on the outside the door knocking to get in. God wants to enter our churches. He wants to enter our homes. He wants to impact our families. He wants to come into our lives. He wants to make himself manifest. He wants to come in all his fullness. I don't want just a taste. I don't want just a little. I want, Brother Billy, his fullness. Paul said in Ephesians 3, Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we're able to ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. So, I want this to be a comfort, what I'm about to say. I want you to find comfort in what I'm about to say. Jesus completely transformed the most snarled, knotted, and complex situation and accomplishes things beyond our conception. You know, we've talked about this water to wine thing all of our lives. Everybody 
has heard. There's been jokes made. I started to tell a joke this morning about him turning water to wine. It's funny as I don't know what to me. We've all heard the water to wine thing. But we don't understand what he did in an instant. You talk about excellent wine. He didn't do the discount four ninety nine a bottle version. He broke out that, what, 500 to to 1000 I don't know what the expensive wine cost. He broke out the good stuff, buddy, and he did it just like that. What could he do in your life, in your marriage? It's a comfort today to know that nothing, everybody say nothing. It's a comfort today to know that nothing, nothing catches God by surprise. Nothing limits His ability. Nothing limits His ability to intervene in our lives. Again, He turned water into wine. Please grasp that statement. You don't think that's a big deal? You go home and do it. We limit God. We limit Him and restrict Him so badly. I have a, an all-consuming desire. People around me know it. I want to see God do the extraordinary. We, we've treated the water, the wine miracle like it was nothing. It's no big deal. And we, ha-ha, would it blow your mind or what if that happened in your house? Or would you sit much like you've done this morning and, that's all right. Go, Jesus. Rah, 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 rah. There's people here today that he stepped into their home and put their marriage back together. There's people here today that's had their kids' spirituality restored. There's people here today that's had financial needs met more than we could begin to mention. There's a 14, 15-year-old boy here this morning that should have been dead now for a year or two. But these folks right up here invited Jesus into their home long before Dawson met his calamity with leukemia. And Dawson is here today. It pays. It profits. Benefits. To let Jesus in your home. So here's a scripture. Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say unto you that you shall weep and lament, but the world shall rejoice. And you shall be sorrowful, but your sorrow shall be turned into joy. The water to wine is the setting for that. It's the precedent for that. If he can turn water to wine, what can he do with your sorrow and your sadness, your doubt and your fear and your hopelessness? What can he do with a negative attitude? A woman, when she is in travail, he said, has sorrow because her hour has come. But as soon as she's delivered, as soon as she gives birth to that child, she remembers no more the anguish for joy that a man is born into the world. She's ecstatic because out of her body, out of her being, 
becomes this living soul. And virtually every woman on this planet craves that moment. And you now therefore have sorrow. But I will see you again. And your heart shall rejoice. And your joy no man taketh from you. And in that day you shall ask me nothing. Verily, verily, I say unto you, whatsoever you shall ask, the Father in my name I will give it you. Here's why. Hitherto you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you shall receive. Why? Why? Why did he turn the water to wine? To make him look good? No. He brought joy and fulfillment into that home. And he can do the same for you. So notice with me today, if you'll stand, that Jesus' first miracle took place in the home. That miracle changed everyone and everything. This miracle is one, one of the most mentioned miracles that Jesus performed. It happened in the home. I can promise you that address was never forgotten. The atmosphere in that home was never the same. This was one of at least seven created miracles that Jesus performed. He turned something, he turned something into something else. The water had never had any hope of becoming wine until Jesus showed up. The cheapest commodity at the time became something of tremendous value in an instant. And it can happen to you. Your home, your marriage, your kids. Brad, I'm still ecstatic over the miracle in your home. Who knows what that could have been? Who knows how that could have turned out? But he prayed first. If you'll be a willing participant, God can perform a miracle in your home. Elena Bunch here today received the baptism of the Holy Ghost in their living room of their home. I texted Sherry Bunch yesterday. I was 100% sure, but just want to make 100% sure that every Bunch had received the Holy Ghost at home. She said, yes, she did. She received the Holy Ghost at David Ferris' house in a Monday night prayer meeting. And without provocation... Sherry sent this text, and with her permission, I read it. Something that really hit me recently is this, and I give all glory to God, she said. Years ago, before our kids came along, and by the way, they should not have kids today, but God intervened in that. But before our kids came along, Steve and I began to have Monday night prayer and devotion at home, just the two of us. We turned down many invitations throughout the years because... We had an appointment to keep with God every Monday evening. To me, it made Avery's experience all the more special and meaningful. It was a reminder that if we're faithful to Him, He's faithful to us. This is what happens when Jesus enters the house. So can you turn your church and your home into a sanctuary of praise, an altar of repentance, a temple of faith instead of a place filled with fear, doubt, anger, bitterness, hopelessness. If you can, embrace Jesus in your home. Everything changes. Everything changes. So today, this is what I would like to do. In all due respect, again, of all the distancing and mask and all of that. I'd like for everyone to come as a family.
like for everyone to come. Just make your way forward right now, if you would. I'd like for everybody to come as a family. When I asked you several weeks ago, if you don't have family here today, find a friend. If you don't have a friend here today, just stand by yourself. But I want everybody to come. But Brad reminded me in telling me the story of the miracle that happened in their home. He said, Pastor, I take you serious. That Sunday you asked us to go home and anoint our homes with oil and all of that. He said, I did that. As soon as we got home, I did that. And he said, I believe it ushered the presence and power of God into our home. And his son was healed. I'm going to ask you today to take this a step further, all of our families. You're beautiful, beautiful people. I don't think I have COVID. I don't have any symptoms. If y'all want to come a little closer, you can. Our aisles are all backed up. If y'all, if y'all don't mind, you're, you're close to somebody besides you, if you can move in a little bit. But I want us to have a time today of a, as a family, if you can, if you can muster up the courage. I want you to invite Jesus into your house, and I want to do it this way. I'd like for every family here to just have a good praying through to the Holy Ghost. Just have a great moment here in the altar. So when you leave here, you've got something to take with you. If you're here today and you're kind of lukewarm, you may not feel you're where you should be with God now. It's a great, great, great time to take care of all of that stuff. I'm going to ask you today to pour your heart out to God. This is a special moment, not just for you, but for Grace Church and the kingdom of God. It's time to have God back in our house. It's time to have God back in our house. Yes, it is. It's time to see a display of His presence and power in our lives, in our church, in our homes. Come on, Grace Church. Somebody get on board with me right now. We need a divine intervention of the Holy Ghost in our lives. Come on, dads. Lead your family down this path. Come on, mom. Let somebody hear you travail. Let your kids hear you intercede. This is a moment to bring God back into our lives, into our families, into our homes, so that the miraculous can begin. Let the miracles begin. Let the miracles begin. Let the miracles begin. Come on, somebody. Come on, somebody. It's time to tap into the Holy Ghost. It's time to tap into the Holy Ghost. Come on, that's right. That's right. Let your voice be heard. Let your voice be heard. Let your voice be heard in the name of Jesus. Oh, yes. God, I want an atmosphere of the Holy Ghost in my life. I want an environment of Holy Ghost in my home. I want to see my backslidden family members pray through.